Hi, I'm Jim Calloway. And I'm Sharon Nelson. This is the 13th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Today, our topic is Ball in Your Court, Craig Ball on Electronic Discovery. I've known Craig for many years, as has Sharon, and Craig is a consummate trial lawyer and technology presenter for many CLE programs. He's also in a, another phase of his career, a PowerPoint wizard. But we're talking to Craig today as somebody who has been a certified computer forensics examiner in many important cases. He served as special master in cases that many of you would have heard about, with names such as Enron and Tyco. He has done over 500 presentations and papers on electronically stored information. Welcome, Craig, to the Digital Edge. Thank you, Jim, and thank you, Sharon. It's a great pleasure to be here with two such dear and longtime friends. We, we thank you very much for joining us, Craig. This is an area that interests a lot of people, and I'm sure that most people would feel as though you're one of the leading voices in the area. So we really do value your opinions, and we're going to ask you, I know you're really interested in the issue of privilege, and, and we will get to that, but I'd like to ask you for my first question, something that's probably on everyone's mind. In the midst of the current economic meltdown, and I can't even begin to tell you what our 401k looks like, what do you see as the probable impact of that meltdown on the EDD world in general and on the large EDD companies in particular? Oh, that's a great question. And somehow in its sense, it fits in with privilege because we are watching people of privilege laid low, people to whom we extended the privilege of loaning our money, investing in them, and so forth. So a different kind of privilege at play. <laughs> yes, I, I can see your soapboxes out. <laughs> I can't help it. I mean, who, who cannot read the papers right now and just want to go on down to Wall and Broad and strangle the first person who walks by? However, I want to, I want to say that that is not a terroristic threat. I have no immediate plans to be in the New York area. <laughs> there are a lot of factors that are in play as I see it right now. And, of course, I'm... I am no more an expert in, in economics uh, than I am in home economics, but I, I do see that I, I expect a wave of lawsuits to emerge from this mess, that aggrieved investors, and there are many, will be gunning for the folks who mismanaged and squandered their savings. I mean, C-level, corporate-level management is going to be sued for their self-dealing and for making rosy predictions when they really knew what was going on, for protecting their own investments over those of whom they were supposed to act as fiduciary. I see the boards as being called down for sleeping at the switch and bankruptcy litigation re-emerging as a lively practice. I don't think you need to be an expert to recognize that that's going to happen. I mean, there's unquestionably also a keen growing awareness of electronic evidence and the fact that cases are made by ESI, not by paper documents anymore. Up and down this economic chain that we're witnessing the rot is going to be seen as stored as ESI. From the lowest liar loan that someone has taken out of the subprime mortgage level up to the rather fluid risk models that were designed to support investments that you wouldn't foist on your worst enemy, there is this trail of electronic evidence, not paper, that we're going to be looking at. So we're going to see lots of smoking guns. The smoking guns are going to be rampant in email and text messaging. The funny part about that is I used to point out that we go after the email because that's where people are most candid. It's the digital rest gesti statement that is made in such haste that we can take it as true. But recently I read a study by an assistant professor at Lehigh University named Layuba Belkin, 
And Professor Belkin found, and I think you both will enjoy this, that MBA students using email are 50% more likely to lie about deals and money than those communicating by pen and paper. So right away, we can see that the, the lies that we're going to be wanting to find is going to be email. So today's MBA student is tomorrow's CEO. If I want to find his or her lies, I'm going to that email first. Now, that's just reading, that's, if you will, that's the good part in a sense. That and the fact that I expect some of the country's largest firms to be targets of meltdown litigation. That's not a good thing, of course. We all, you know, as lawyers, we kind of hope that we're not caught in the crosshairs. But the fact of the matter is, so many of these events were were driven, guided, memorialized, and steered by lawyers, that the lawyers themselves in the largest firms are going to be uh, seen as, as defendants rather than as um, defenders. So they need now to focus on electronic discovery more than ever because they're going to have skin in the game. Now that is good for the litigation industry as an industry. Despite an economic meltdown and the evaporation of many longtime clients, demand for the business of digital evidence is going to grow. But the bad news is that cash is king and that only the strong are going to survive. So I see, if, if it's all right to mention names, I see, say, Kroll on track, backed as it is by Martian McLennan's strong status, probably continuing to prosper. But as you get down to the four and five and 300-pound gorillas that are in the room, as you move lower down, perhaps, the Socha Geldman uh, firmament, those living on credit lines, those needing to seek market capitalization are looking at some very hard times. Consolidation will continue, but it will be fire sales, no longer mergers of equals. And the funny part, I think, for all of us who watch this area is that there's really no telling who's up for grabs or how little you're going to be able to pay to buy them. I wouldn't be a bit surprised to see some very big names being gobbled up for chump change, especially the ones that have been run by chumps. <laughs> Don't name names. <laughs> or will Please, be, we'll be in the lawsuit. <laughs> Craig, Craig, I am interested in, in the uh, future ongoing value of some of these companies, though. I, I understand totally what you're saying, and yet on the other hand, I can see some cash-strapped CEOs saying that we just can't afford the bills we've had on electronic discovery. Do you, have you seen any particular companies that are declining or, or you think are in trouble, again, without necessarily mentioning the names? You mean out there in the stock market? Well, I mean, I, 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 I have an one ongoing concern. Well, and okay, I'll say this, ahead. and I, I say this as a stockholder, so I, I, I don't bring it in with any – certainly, I, I, um, having said that, I, I, I can tell you that I'm speaking from the heart. When it came out as a, an IPO, shortly after I bought stock, you know, as a forensic examiner, I'm one of the tools that I use is, is Encase. And the company that makes that is called Guidance Software out in Pasadena, California. I figure I'm spending thousands on Encase. A lot of the people I do business with are spending thousands on this product. They now have this enterprise software. They're pretty much alone at that time in the, in the marketplace, the ability to to go out and, and push out a, a kernel and, and grab information from desktops and laptops and sit, sit in your control room, so to speak, and be the Wizard of Oz from behind the curtain grabbing information you discovery. Obviously, that kind of distributed collection is, and search is a great idea. 
And so you think, well, they have it, the market to themselves. It's the right way to go. And they've had for years the leading product in computer forensics, the product that is, is reported in a variety of cases as being, if it's NCASE, it's okay. So I invested in NCASE. Well, since that time, and we're looking at, I don't know, maybe a, a year or more, I've seen their stock fall 75% in value. I mean, I, I don't know what the quote is at this moment, if it's still being traded or not, but I think it was well under $4 down from, you know, whatever I got it. And you can see I'm a little pained, I don't know, 16 or so, 16, 17 in no time. And so how does something like that happen? How do you take a situation where you have the leading product, you're alone in the market, you have a market that if we listen to everybody we trust in this area, people who, who look at the economics of e-discovery, tells you that it is an exploding multi-multi-billion dollar market. You're named as one of the top companies in these various beauty contest lists. How do you take that advantage and squander it so quickly? I mean, it's difficult to understand how bad management can possibly be to take everything that you have going for it and flush it down the toilet. So I think that that's probably a good, good example of of something that is going to have to be looking hat in hand to stay alive. Craig, I think you need to be ahead. a little more candid. Um, you're not being forthright here. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you asked me, and it, it happened, you know, when, when you look at the stock market, it's, it's I, I don't just, I mean, I, I don't favor products. And I, I think it's, no one can say I'm saying these nice things about guidance in order to try to get the market to move up. Uh, I think it has to be said, whether it's about guidance or, or about others. I don't know if the smart people that created the company took the money and, and ran. I don't know if they just were incapable of making good decisions. I don't know. I'm not an insider. I just know that if you have all the marbles and you're alone at the top of the heap and you let your stock decline by 75%, there needs to be some accountability. Absolutely, and we too, of course, use NCASE, and, and we too have been very disappointed in the management of guidance software, although happily we were smart enough not to invest in their stock <laughs> because we saw something like this potentially happening just because it seemed as though the original the original voice of the company, the original ethos of the company seemed to have disappeared along the way, and we thought a lot of what they were producing was overpriced. But that's just one of the many issues that many companies are going to be having these days is how to survive in this market. So let's turn for a moment to globalization, which is the word of the day. It's causing a lot of fallout in EDD from the outsourcing of review of EDD to the impact of the European data privacy laws on the U.S., which we're seeing more and more of day by day. Are there any thoughts on those issues you'd like to share with us, Craig? Oh, I think, I think several. Money talks. And right now, the, you know, people are coming from outside the United States, and the United States is like used to be year when I was a boy and we'd go to Mexico and you'd say, I can't believe how cheap everything is here. And so you would spend money like water. Well, if you are a European coming to the United States, everything is cheap. And that doesn't mean just uh, trinkets and electronics and clothing and so forth. It means that our businesses are cheap. And that means that they're going to be buying our businesses, again, for fire, fire sale prices. And as a consequence of that, their influence is going to increase. Recognizing that in the European community, privacy is a fundamental human right. Unlike the American community where basically if you own the computer, you're more or less believed to own all the information on it. 
Well, I think we're going to see some change, some migration of American data privacy laws and rules by virtue of the economic impact of European investment and clout gravitating more towards that European privacy model. I mean, it's, it may seem odd. We certainly may see some changes in overall aspects of personal privacy if there is a change in our leadership beginning next month. Certainly, the current administration has not been, shall we say, a harbinger of, of personal privacy issues. Maybe that will change. Craig, I'm really interested in how much attorneys can be involved in developing the uh, protocols and the searches themselves and whether an attorney can actually become the expert in a case. Can you help me a little bit with what's going on in that area? Well, that's a very interesting topic, Jim, and you know, it, it's really epitomized by a handful of cases that have come out uh, this past spring by two brilliant jurists, and they really are both just the leaders, uh, the strongest leaders in many ways of the e-discovery thought at this moment, and that's John Fasciola out of the uh, D.C. Circuit and Paul Grimm out of uh, District Court of Maryland. Now, Judge Fasciola led the way with a couple of cases, one in particular called United States versus O'Keefe. I'm sure a lot of listeners have heard of O'Keefe. They've probably heard that Judge Fasciola's position in that case was expressed as for lawyers or judges to dare opine that a search term is more or less likely to get information is to go, quote, where angels fear to tread. He says search is beyond the ken of a layman, and here he means layman being us, people who lawyers who aren't linguists, statisticians, or computer technologists. Well, okay, I might fall into the computer technologist aspect of it, but you get what I'm, I'm going at. The problem with Judge Fasciola's point, which was absolutely on point, which is, dis, which is this. He's saying, look, search is a lot harder than we think. It's not like Lexis and Westlaw. You need to be able to have a proven scientific process because search is a science and you've got to use the expertise required to make it work. The problem, as I say, with, with that is that Judge Fasciola specifically pointed to a need for scientists and computers or statistics and linguistics. Well, most of the lawyers that I know wouldn't fit any of those titles. So, if you will, the, the amelioration of that comes a little later in the year, until the end of May, from Judge Grimm out of Maryland. And Judge Grimm comes up with a case called Victor Stanley versus Creative Pipe. And the gist of that is about 165 documents are turned over from one party to the other. And the plaintiff who inadvertently receives them does the right thing, says you've inadvertently turned over these privileged materials. However, we argue that you have waived the privilege because essentially the mechanism that you used to separate wheat and chaff to protect your privilege was so deeply flawed that it operates to provide no protection. It was essentially a waiver. And looking at that, uh, Judge Grimm agrees. And he says, well, privilege is waived. I mean, you, you, you didn't follow through on getting a clawback agreement to preserve privilege. You didn't demonstrate any search expertise. You didn't test the keywords that you used, and it doesn't look like you went to the discard pile and sampled the production set to see if what your, your techniques were working or not. And so what we get down to is that Judge Grimm doesn't say that you have to be a statistician or you have to be 
a linguist or a computer scientist. What he says is you have to be qualified. You have to prove the integrity of your process. So the bottom line answer I would give to you, Jim, is yes, a lawyer can demonstrate the skill and the expertise and the proof of process needed to put forward and defend a good search. You don't have to necessarily bring on one of those specialties that Judge Fasciola shows. The problem, the, the dichotomy between the two cases, of course, is that so little was done right in Judge Grimm's case. I think that if there had been more diligence shown, say a disclosure of the keywords that were used, a demonstration and openness of process, that in those circumstances, if the court could have been convinced that you really have acted in good faith, you've used reasonable tools, you've used reasonable approaches, you've tried to make it cooperative, there's been some transparency, very likely the court would say, yes, that is a defensible search. You don't have to have the Mr. Wizard or Ms. Wizard of search on your team. But it seemed in, in that case, and, and Victor Stanley was a fascinating case, I know the plaintiff said that they ran a desktop search tool and they found all these privileged documents in, in something under an hour. So it, it was pretty clear that there was not any expertise on, on the defense side of the case. And that kind of argued to me that an expert might have been very useful there because an expert certainly would not have allowed this to go on the way it did. Uh, do you disagree with that, Craig? No, I think that an, an expert, a, a true expert, would have at least known that we're going to have to test. And I think that's my frustration is, is that the notion that a couple of lawyers can sit in a room, come up with some keywords just based upon their immense knowledge of the law and human nature without considering all of the, the pitfalls and vicissitudes of that, all the misspellings, all the synonyms, um, all the stemming that you need to undertake and not testing it on at least a few key custodians to see if what is coming up in response to those keywords really is what you're looking for and also looking at what you're not getting, at least by uh, spot checking, to see if there isn't some obvious thing you're leaving behind. It just sounds like they did not, not, not so much that they didn't do their job, it's they did a horrible job of persuading the court they did anything at all. The whole lawyer trying to be an EDD expert thing really seems pretty foolhardy to me, Craig. I'm not sure they understand privilege well enough to design a search to effectuate privilege goals. Where, where do you think this whole thing is going? Where would you like to see it go? Well, I have to split that in two, which is do lawyers understand the elements of privilege well enough to, to distill it into a series of keywords that take the place for their judgment of review on a page? I think the answer to that is no. Lawyers don't know the magic between their interpretation and a few magic words. Now, obviously, there are some kinds of privilege search you can do. You can look for lawyer email addresses and so forth and do some very rough cutting for privilege that lawyers well understand well enough. But when you're starting to talk about keywords taking the place of judgment, you better have a mechanism in place that can be defended either by common experience or by an expert to demonstrate that these handful of words is the same as me looking at the information. But on the other part, the, the idea of lawyer as EDD expert being foolhardy, there I have to take issue. I think lawyers, I'm absolutely persuaded that lawyers are much more capable of understanding the technical aspects of EDD than we give them credit for. There's a switch. 
There's a switch in their brains that if we could just reach up and turn it off for a moment and open their heads to listen, to get some of the background of what it is that is on computers, what, what an, an IT architecture looks like, how data lives, you could just engage them for a couple of hours even. You could build the foundation that would give them that gee whiz, I think I might understand it moment that would open them up to being less intimidated. And that hasn't happened, and I blame the bars that haven't put forward technical training for lawyers. I blame the law schools that haven't incorporated electronic evidence fully or, or even adequately into their curriculum. And I blame the lawyers who still seem to think that if they can just look away long enough, this is all going to disappear. Folks, you need to learn it. It's not that hard. And when the other parties I mentioned put the resources out there that make it available to you, we need to seize on it and make it as important as anything else we keep up in our practices. The only people that are going to survive litigation are people who understand how to get to the evidence, and that evidence is electronic. Craig, I find myself in an interesting situation here with two people on this podcast that know a great deal more about this topic than me. So I'd like to go to some, a simple part of it for a moment. Uh, as you know, there's kind of two different ways to produce material pursuant to electronic discovery requests. One is in the native format where you produce the actual Word documents or the PDF files or the email file. And then the other is an image production, uh, TIFF images typically. Are we, are we starting to move away from producing the images only or TIFF productions to native format? And, and what is that going to, how's that going to impact our future? And, and is it just me or does that seem to be going a bit slow? It's funny you mention that because I, I debated that very issue with a very bright lawyer from K&L Gates Law Firm up in Seattle recently at a conference in Denver last week. Now, this lawyer was convinced that TIFF was here to stay, excepting maybe for spreadsheets. And, and I could not disagree more. I mean, I know there is an entrenched investment in TIFF. There are a lot of people making a lot of money from TIFF. TIFF everything. Take a picture of everything and then look at the picture is a way that people are going about review of documents, and that is criminal. Let me say this. In my judgment, native is inevitable. Native works for everything because, let's face it, native is native. It is what it is. Let's look at the pros of native. It's easy to collect. It's self-authenticable. There are no conversion charges, no OCR, no flaky TIFF engines that will make things break on the wrong pages or insert blank pages and create confusion and distrust. There's no spilling unnaturally across pages. Native preserves that what-if option so that you can manipulate in a good way the data to see if maybe the hiring decision or the firing decision would have been different if I'd been 49 instead of 50, say. And it's, you know, there's deeper, more flexible analysis of content. What else am I missing? It's easier to deduplicate, too. But above all of that, and that would be enough, it's a huge money saver, and money is going to be the decisive factor. We cannot afford to allow e-discovery to squander so much money on the notion of let's take things from the way they exist and the way we use them day to day and turn them into something entirely different, this sort of humpty-dumpty approach to e-discovery where we take a picture of it and then we try to take out pieces of the information, put it in a file to go along with the picture in hopes that maybe that will be kind of like the original. But then look at the cons of, of native. I'll try to be fair about it. It's difficult to base number and arguably easier to alter. Certainly, if you don't take appropriate steps to protect metadata of native, you can stomp on the evidence. 
But the first of that, the difficulty in Bates number, is going to be rectified as desktop review tools improve. And I, and I can't say too much about how the industry has let down the bar in failing to introduce tools suited to the small and mid-market electronic discovery efforts. You know, there's a, there's a lot of good business below the Fortune 500. There are a lot of lawyers that need to do some of this for their smaller clients. So I call out to everyone who has any creative spark, if there's ever, ever any entrepreneurial spirit left in the United States, and I hope this gets out to Eastern Europe and India as well, come up with the QuickBooks-style product for desktop review of e-discovery, and the world will beat a path to your door. Well, that is an extraordinary concluding remark, and I'm afraid we are at the end of our time here. Craig, as always, you are a beacon of light in impenetrable fog, so we thank you so much for shining that light for us and for being with us today. Well, thank you, Sharon, and thank you, Jim. It's always a pleasure to spend time with you both. We'll come back again, okay? Happy to. Thanks, and that's all, folks, for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. <laughs>